series. This is part two of a, of a four-part series called I'm Dreaming. And uh, last week we started the series and uh, we all have dreams, we all have aspirations, we all have passions and desires that we have in our lives. And some of us, we have dreams that, that come and then they die. Other people, if you're fortunate, you have dreams and they start to live and they start to grow and you become like a multimillionaire and things like that. So, uh, hey, that, that, that's, that's, that's a nice dream that lives. Yeah, it is. And, uh, but we all have dreams. And last week we discussed that even God has a dream. And, uh, and that dream is this. It is the dream that all men shall not perish not anybody shall not be lost, but everybody should come back to God. You see, we discussed last week that man and, and God have been separated from each other. And when Adam, you know, sinned and he ate that apple and Eve ate that apple, sin came in the world and suddenly there became a divider between man and God. And once when there was a relationship with man and God, suddenly it was separated. And man was here and God was over here. And there was a big dividing line between them. But when Jesus Christ came to this world, he died for our sins. And at that moment, he kind of bridged through the gap. And he built a bridge between man and God. And God's desire and God's dream is that all men, whether young, whether old, whether they are in the United States of America, or if they're in India, in Africa, if they're in China, that all men should come back to God and have that relationship once again with God. So last week, we started talking about uh, the first thing that God desires, and, and God has desired that this dream be lived through the church of Jesus Christ. So the church isn't just a place that you come and meet on a Sunday morning. It's not a place just has a steeple and maybe ring some bells. And uh, it's, not, it's not a place where, you know, you, you, you come and you listen to music and you hear a sermon and you go home and, you know, have a nice rest of your Sunday. The church is the very people that make up that group who come on a Sunday morning. And it is through them that the dream of Jesus Christ and the dream of God is lived, it is breathed, and he desires that it becomes a reality. So last week we discussed that this dream should, the first part of this dream is that God is dreaming of a church that is passionate about him. Well, today we're going to look at the second part. And, uh, and, and, And the second part of the dream is something that, I think over the last couple of years, I've realized that it's so essential for my life. Not just this dream that God has that everybody come back to God, but every one of us in the very, what we call the body of Christ, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but in the church need to, 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 to be part of this second part of this dream. I don't believe that anybody wants to be alone in this world. You know, there's all of us, we have times when we want space to ourselves. When people crowd us in, it's like, leave me alone, let me go to my man cave and give me time to myself. But there's only so much time that a guy can spend in his man cave before it kind of starts stinking and, you know, you need to get out of there and stuff like that. You know, we all need to be with other people and nobody wants to be alone. And, you know, the life where somebody feels alone or there is loneliness is a very sad life. And I know in my life, I felt it. I felt times of loneliness where I felt all alone. And even though I've had people around me, that still there's just this sense of loneliness that comes. And when somebody feels that sense of loneliness, their life is just very sad. It is very depressive. 
And it is something that you wouldn't want to wish on anybody else. You know, imagine if your life, you didn't have anybody that you could communicate with. Imagine if you didn't have anyone that you could share things with. Imagine if you didn't have anyone that you could laugh with. Or anybody you could cry with when there's, where there's circumstances. Imagine if you didn't have anyone in your life who you could really do life with. Well, Jesus Christ's dream is the total opposite to loneliness. His desire that no man should be destroyed, that everybody should come to a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that they should come back to God, is done through something, and we discussed it last week, it's called reconciliation. And reconciliation is basically where there has been a relationship and it's been torn apart, it's been separated. And reconciliation is just bringing that back together, that relationship back together. And so Jesus desires that God the Father and us as a church, as us as human beings, have a pure, unrestricted relationship where we come together. And it is through relationship that this dream lives. And it's not just a relationship between us and God, but it goes a step further than that. It's a relationship between the people in the church having a relationship one with another. You see, we can have a relationship with God and we can be one of those people who says, we don't need anybody else, all I need is God. But if you, all you need is God, then your life will become very sad and very lonely. Life was meant to be uh, was meant to be enjoyed together. When God created Adam, Adam said, I need somebody else to do this life with. I need somebody else so I can enjoy this life with. He was like, God, you know, I'm feeling you, but I need somebody who was like kind of on my level, you know. And, uh, and, and so God created Eve. And, and at that point, at that moment in life, human life became about relationship with God and with each other. Relationship with God and with each other. And I believe that Jesus Christ knows that when he sees a church that has true, true, pure, authentic relationships with each other, that this world will look on and desire the very thing that they see. You know, one of the biggest turnoffs in church, and, and I'm sad to say I've seen it so many times, and uh, my dad was a pastor, and, uh, and I got to hear of a lot of different stuff going on in churches. But one of the saddest and the biggest turnoff is a church that has a public breakdown in relationships with its members. Whether it's, whether it's a leader who's abusing his power. And I don't know about you, but we've heard stuff in the news lately just, just about that yet again. Maybe it's a church that fights over politics, or it's a church that splits, or one church throws insults at another church, or a church where the members are out of relationship with each other. That is a church that is unattractive. It's a church that nobody wants to attend, and it's a church I don't want to attend. I mean, who wants to go to a church where people do not communicate with each other, people who are not in relationship with each other? However... I believe Jesus Christ knows that where there is a church, where the members are in sync with each other, where they have a great relationship with each other, where they are there for each other and they're doing life together, this church is a beautiful church, it's an effective church, it's an attractive church, it's a church that is full of power 
And it's a church that's full of life. And so this is the church that we're going to be talking about today. And so part two of this dreaming series is I believe that Jesus Christ is dreaming of a church that is not just passionate about God, but he's also dreaming of a church that is passionate about each other. You know, when we talk about passion, we're not talking about physical passion. So don't think that we're going to get like, you know, kind of crazy or anything like that. And uh, we're going to, you know, get all attracted to each other and everything. But uh, what he's talking about, he's talking about a godly passion. And basically, a godly passion is this. When you have a passion for somebody else, and it's a godly passion, it's a passion that you desire somebody else to fulfill all that God has intended for their lives. You are passionate about that person fulfilling what God has designed their lives for. You know, we can, we can be passionate about one another. And, you know, when newlyweds come together, they're passionate for each other. And one of the things that drives their passion is that they desire that that person live out the dreams in their lives. That that person, that their life is just, it becomes just such a wonderful life. And they're, they're passionate that that person starts to live out their dreams and their passions. And within the church, if we are passionate for each other, it means that we desire and we will do anything to let each other start to live out our God-given, our God-given destinies, our God-given purposes. That we start walking in the life that God has intended for us to walk in. And you can have passion, and, uh, and that passion will cause you to walk alongside someone as they pursue God. It will mean that in times of need that you will come beside them and you will help them. That passion will mean that when that person goes through a time of celebration, you will celebrate with them as well. It means that when that person goes through times of sadness and darkness in their lives, that you will be there and you will comfort them through those times of sadness and darkness. It means that when somebody else is hurting, you come alongside and you hurt as well. I don't know about you, but for those of you who are married, I know that when Raquel, my wife, hurts, I kind of hurt as well. I try to not to show it too much. And, uh, but I know that when she is down, it kind of makes my day down. You know, I'm like, if she's having a bad day, I'm having a bad day. If she's having a good day, I'm having a good day. And, uh, but it, it's, it's because, you know, we're passionate for, for, for each other and we're committed to each other. And, God is wanting exactly the same in the church. When the people of church come together, when when others are celebrating, they're celebrating. When others are hurting, they're hurting as well. And you know, the Apostle Paul, he, uh, he, he wrote to the church in Corinth. And he said that the church is like a body. And, uh, and like your physical body, where all the members, all the different parts of your body, whether it's hands, whether it's feet, whether it's legs, whether it's eyes, whether it's nose, they come together and they do their part. But when one part of the body hurts, all the body hurts. You know, if you've, if you've got a sore throat, then isn't it amazing how your legs and your arms start to hurt as well? And it's like, you're like, man, I need to go to bed. I mean, I mean what's that going to do with your sore throat? But your, your whole body starts to hurt when one part starts to hurt. And uh, when one part is out of commission, it's like all the other parts are out of commission. And Paul says that the church is exactly the same. It's like this body. 
And a church that is pure, a church that is powerful, a church that is effective, is a church that acts, moves, and reacts, and is in total sync like your own physical body. And so Jesus is dreaming of a church that is passionate about each other. And the reason for this is, he says this. If you have your Bibles this morning, and there's a few different Bible verses we're going to go through. And, uh, but the first one is in John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, verse 34. It says that, so, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. He says, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And then in verse 35 it says this. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Jesus Christ, I believe, is dreaming of a church that is passionate about each other. Because when there is a church that is passionate about each other, it's a church that loves one another, and the world will look on, and they will realize that we are the very church of Jesus Christ. And when they realize who Jesus Christ is, they will come running, running to that church because they won't want to be part of it. So today, let's look at uh, some different ways that we can be passionate about each other. Or we can show this world that we are passionate about each other. And there's three ways I've, I've, just, I've, I've highlighted. And the first one is this. I believe that Jesus is dreaming of a church that is passionate about each other. And that means he is dreaming of a church that converses with one another or has conversations with one another. Have you ever sat in a restaurant and seen that couple who just sit there and just don't talk at all? They just eat. And like some guys looking at the sports, the girl is just like looking around, playing on her phone, but they just don't, you know, converse. Have you ever been that couple? Yeah, I have as well. Don't worry. I've done it as well. And, uh, you know, there was one time I remember when, before, before I was married, when I was single, I was like 22 at the time, and uh, I was working in, in the UK, and we had our office in Birmingham, which is right in the center. And there was another office in Manchester, which is like further north. And uh, I used to talk with the people in, in the Manchester office all the time. And, uh, and, and one girl I used to talk to all the time, she was like, she, she said, there's this real cute girl in our office, and uh, she, you know, I really think that you would be, you know, you two would get on well to each, with each other. And so she would tell me this for a couple of weeks. And she's like, can I set you up on a date? Can I set you up on a date? And uh, so like after weeks and weeks of nagging, I'm like, okay, you can set, up, set us up on a date. I'd never seen this girl before. All I knew was her name. I knew what job she had. And uh, so, you know, we emailed each other back and forth. And we came together on a blind date. And now, if any of you have ever been on a blind date and you've had success, well, I'm impressed because blind dates are normally the worst things ever. And I've been on like two in my life. And, uh, and this, the first one was bad. This one was even worse. And uh, so I turn up and uh, she's kind of a cute looking girl, you know, and, and everything. And I'm like, you know, there could be some possibilities here. And we sit down and uh, we kind of met halfway between her home and my home. It was like a two hour difference. And so we met like an hour in between. And we started having, having dinner. And, you know, 
I started just asking the usual questions. Hey, you know, what do you do? You know, what kind of family do you have? And, you know, what do you enjoy doing in your life? And she would give like one word answers. And, uh, and, and I'm kind of not the kind of person who likes to like just talk all the time. I'm like, I'm more on the other spectrum where I don't talk as much. And uh, so for me, this was so hard. And it was like pulling teeth. So we had like dinner and it was, it was just disastrous. I'm like, she didn't ask me anything about me. I'm like, okay, this is the deal. I'm thinking either she is so attracted to me that she's just blown away by my attractiveness. Or, no, I'm serious, or, or, or she's like, man, what a jerk. I'm like, why did I get set up on this day? And I kind of thought the latter in the end. And so the more we ate, and uh, she was like a non-Christian, and so she started to order some wine. And, you know, the more I ate and the more, com- the more I tried to engage in conversation, the more wine she kind of drank. And I'm like, man, this is just really sad. Well, after a while, she started opening up a little. I'm like, that's, I suppose like five glasses of wine will probably do that to you. And uh, so she starts opening up. But still, at the end of the night, it was like the worst blind date ever. And after about 30 minutes of it, it lasted for like two hours altogether. And after 30 minutes, I was like, what can I do to get out of this? What can I do to get out of this place? It was the most unattractive thing ever. You know, a couple of months later, we, we had our like, Christmas function at, at, the work, uh, at the place I worked. And I went there and I saw her and uh, I didn't really speak to her because, you know, she didn't speak to me. And, uh, and she, she, I just saw her and she started to drink and drink and drink. And, uh, and suddenly she started getting a personality, you know, after she had drunk a lot. And I thought, how sad. That this girl can only start coming out of herself and engaging in conversation after she's had, like, way too much to drink. And I think about the church. And I think about people who come into the church or see the church or view the church from a distance. And they see a church sometimes that doesn't communicate with each other. And the only time that they communicate with each other is when maybe they come together on a Sunday morning. But then, as soon as they leave on a Sunday afternoon, then they go back to their own separate lives and they don't communicate with each other. And then on Monday morning, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, there is no communication between those people of the church. And I, if I'm somebody, I'm looking on, and I'm thinking whether to go to church or not, and I look at this, and I think that is so unattractive. Just as that girl was unattractive to me because she would not converse. So a church that doesn't converse with each other is unattractive. And so Jesus is, I believe, is dreaming of a church that converses with one another. And they don't converse so that they can have little clicks. But because of the parts of the body communicate with each other, as your hands and your feet and, and the blood that flows around your body communicates with each other, I believe that the church should also communicate with each other. And so I don't believe that Jesus is, to, is wanting us to converse just for the sake of it. But I believe that there's a subject that he wants us to talk about. And he wants us to have conversations with each other about. And that subject is himself. And I believe that there's something powerful when the people of God start to converse with each other. You know, Generation Church started being birthed like an, a year and a half, two years ago. And I remember last summer, nothing had been done yet. You know, we hadn't even 
said that we were going to plant a church or start a church. You know, we hadn't gathered a team. But Raquel and myself would sit on our deck every, every night almost in the summer. We turned the TV off and we just started talking about God. Nothing, you know, particular. But we just started talking about God and what God was doing in our lives. And through those conversations, those summer nights, suddenly a church was birthed. And the reason for that is because I believe when the people of God come together and they converse and start to talk, to God, talk about God together, suddenly God shows up in the midst. And when God shows up, God reveals himself to us. In Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read a little story here to you. To show what happens when the people of God talk with each other. And in Luke 24, and starting in verse 13, it says this. What happened? Jesus has died and, uh, and, and he's, he's risen again. But these people don't realize that he has risen. And it said the same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things... Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? So they stopped, sadness ridden across their their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a pure, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed them over and condemned to death, they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And some of the women from our group of his followers came to the, temp- uh, to the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report and they said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of the men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you will find it hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. Then Jesus took them through the writings of of Moses and all the prophets, explaining all the scriptures that concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of the journey. Jesus acted if he was going to go on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread, he blessed it, Then he broke it and gave it to them. And then in verse 31 it said, Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. I believe that when the people of God come together and they start talking about God, God shows up in the middle. And when God shows up, lives are changed, lives are transformed. When God shows up, When people talk, God shows up. You know, if someone was talking about you, I bet you'd want to get in on the conversation. You'd be like, what are they talking about? I think God's the same. When people talk about God, 
God wants to get in on the conversation. He wants to hear what is going on. So I believe that when God shows up, revelation happens. You know, in the next couple of months, one of the things that we're going to be doing here at Generation Church is we're going to be doing something what I call conversations. And basically what that is, it's a group of people that come together, not in a structured way, but a group of people of your choice, whether it's, whether it's three, whether it's four, whether it's five, whether it's six, whether it's just men, just women, whether it's guys and, and girls, whether, you know, what, whether it's families come together. But what I would like to see is that when we come together, we start just conversing with each other about God. Maybe talking about some of the things that we talked about on Sunday morning. But just open that conversation to let you talk about God. And I believe by doing that, not only will you come together in community and you start finding love for one another, but God will just start to come in the midst and God will start to speak to you and God will start to talk to you. And I know for me, one of the best ways that God has ever spoken into my life is when I wasn't in prayer, but I was just talking to other people about God. So that's something just that, to, to make a note that we're going to be doing in the next couple of months uh, of, uh, of that. And we're going to bring, bring groups together that they're just going to talk and they're going to converse, whether it's over dinner, whether it's over breakfast, whether it's just getting together over coffee or what, something like that. But I believe that when the people of God converse together, God shows up. And God is dreaming of a church where the people have a conversation with each other. Not only that, I believe that God is also dreaming of a church where the people are committed to each other. You know, in the book of Acts, there was the group of people who began the first church. These people formed a new community. And this community had a name. It was called the Community of Faith. And there was people from all walks of life. There was some rich, there was some poor, there was some outspoken, there was some timid. And these people came together with one thing in common, and that was just that they had faith in Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ was. The common thing was that their lives had been changed by the very message of Jesus Christ. They were very different, but however, over the next couple of months, what happened is that these people went from being very different putting their differences aside, and they started to commit to each other. They started to, to come together and help the people in need in their, in, in, in their little community. There were some that sold fields to raise money so that others could have bills paid for. There were others that would come together, they would have dinner together. There were others that would come and have the, the Lord's Supper, which is basically communion. They would come and they would have that together. And I believe that God's dream of a church, is a church that is committed together. And just very quickly, this is what happened. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It said, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and shared everything they had. Then it said they sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And then in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says that all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they, uh, and they felt what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And the Lord's great blessing was on them all. There were no more needy people among them because those who owned lands or homes would sell them and bring the money to the, to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Bar- um, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Let me ask you today, anyone own a field at all? No, I didn't think so. And, uh, but you know, the, these people, they came together. They didn't just sell their possessions because, you know, hey, let's just, you know, have one big pot of money and everyone just go and get it. No, what they did, they saw somebody who was in need in their community, in their church, and they did what they could do about it. You know, one, one of the members of our congregation, she's not here today, she hasn't been able to come since we, we actually came to the school. Her name's Jill. And Jill had uh, some severe back and neck problems to the point where she couldn't sleep for like a, a, a year. She would sleep for two hours, get up, take pain medication, go back to sleep. She was in so much pain. And uh, she, she got operated on a couple of weeks ago. They did some extensive surgery and, 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 uh, with her back. And her mother from Florida came. And her mother was totally anti-God, anti-church. And uh, Jill was like, I'll never be able to reach my mom, never. And her mom came to, to, to be with her for a couple of weeks. And they're actually driving her mom back to the airport right now. And the people of Generation Church, some of the ladies got together. And they decided just to make some meals for Jill and her family. They decided just to reach out to them to make sure that they were okay. We went and visited them in the hospital. We went to visit them in the home. And suddenly her mom was just so overwhelmed with how the people of Generation Church were so committed to Jill and her husband Chris. She was just amazed at how committed they were to each other. That suddenly she started asking questions, firstly about the church. And then after asking questions about the church, it opened the door for Jill to start talking to her about God. And in the space of a week, a woman who had been totally anti-God, anti-church, suddenly owned her first Bible, and she was reading her Bible, and she was committing her life to God. And the reason was, is because first, she saw a church that was committed together. Because I believe when a world sees a church that is committed to one another, they look at that church and they see an attractive church and they run to that church and they say there is something different about that church. That church loves one another. And a church that loves one another is a church where God is in the midst. And when God is in the midst, when people come, their lives are changed. Their lives are transformed. So Paul wrote about this church being a body. And as the church is, is a body, as our physical body is joined to one another, so the church must be committed to one another. And when the world looks at this dream church, they see a body that is functioning, that is full of life, and will be drawn to it. And very quickly today, finally, Jesus is not just dreaming of a church that converses with one another. He's not just dreaming of a church that is committed with one another. He's also dreaming of a church that is growing together. That is growing together. You know, a body that does not grow is a freak. A body where some parts grow but other parts don't is an unhealthy body. Imagine a child that just doesn't grow. 
a child's going to die. Imagine a child, a baby that starts to grow and his arms start to grow, but his torso doesn't grow. That, that baby becomes an unhealthy baby and eventually may die. A healthy body is a body where every part of the body grows together. You know, the body has blood that flows through it. And say if your arms decided, I'm going to keep all the blood for myself. When the blood flows through my me, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to store it. What happens? A blood clot happens. And blood clots are very dangerous, we know. Because what happens is that part of the body gets too much blood and then other parts of the body get no blood. And eventually the body dies. But what happens with your body is when the blood flows, so it flows through your arm, your arm takes what it needs and then it passes on the blood to the next part of the body. So when your blood flows through your liver and through your kidneys, what it does, it takes what it needs and it passes on. And I believe in the same way that a body functions, your physical body functions, I believe Jesus is dreaming of a church that doesn't store and hoard what they have learned, but they pass it on as well. They pass it on to the next person. And I believe that people who are discipled, disciple other people. So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you're not discipling other people, then maybe you're not fully discipled. Disciples of Jesus Christ always disciple other people. You know, Jesus, uh, he taught his disciples to pass on what they've been taught he said to them in, uh, in uh, Matthew uh, 28, verse 18 to 20, he says, you know, he told them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I have taught you. He also told, uh, the Apostle Paul also told uh, Timothy, who was a young pastor, he said, as I have taught you, so you taught, teach other people. He also said to them, the teachings that you have been given, you pass on to others. He also said to another young pastor in the book of of Titus, he said that people in your church, if you want them to grow, then they must pass on to others what they have learned, what they have been taught. And so today I ask you, who is discipling you? Who is the person who is discipling you? And then secondly, I ask you, who are you discipling? Who is discipling you? Who are you discipling? Every one of us should be discipling other people. And then every one of us should have people in our lives who are discipling us. And maybe that person doesn't even know God. Maybe that person hasn't even come to church. Maybe that person hasn't even got an inkling about God at all. You can still disciple that person. And you can bring them to faith in Jesus Christ and then you can teach them how to grow, and you can pass on to them what you have learned. So Jesus is dreaming of a church, and he's dreaming of a church that reaches out to a lost, dying world so that they can be connected with God once again. He's dreaming of a church that converses with one another. He's dreaming of a church that is committed to one another. And he's dreaming of a church that grows together. And the reason for that is because he knows that a church that converses with one another is a church where God shows up. And where God shows up, lies are changed. He knows that where there is a church that is committed to one another, it is an effective church, it is an attractive church. 
And effective churches change communities. And he also knows that a church that grows together is a church that will reproduce disciples. And disciples of Jesus have this funny ability to tell a lost world about Jesus in a way that this world will understand and the truth of God and that that world will find its way back to God. God is dreaming of a church and that church is you. And so this week I would encourage you converse with someone. Have a conversation with someone about God. Whether it's just 30 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you watch. God will reveal himself in that conversation. Look at a need at somebody else in the church or somebody else you know who's a Christian and go and meet that need. Be committed to that person. Maybe there's somebody in, in, in the church here and you're like, I know that person. They need to be discipled. Take them under your wing and disciple them. Speak into their lives. Maybe you're like, I need to be discipled. And there's somebody else who you're like, I think I can learn from that somebody. Then go and ask that somebody if they'll teach you. God is dreaming of a church that is passionate about one another. There's a church that is passionate about one another. Is a church that changes lives. And a church that changes communities. And a church that changes the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer.